Hello, hello, and welcome to my reinvented podcast, Taboo, where we talk about all the things people are afraid to talk about. If it makes you uncomfortable, I'm probably going to talk about it. Life's too short for ambiguity. So thanks for listening, and here we go. So let's talk about modern medicine, shall we? Pre-COVID, the medical framework of the U.S. was already in shambles. But what the pandemic did was reveal all the holes in our system and make them 10 times worse. The medical field is having the biggest staffing shortages in modern day history. And if you work in the healthcare field, you already know why. But let's break this down so everyone can understand. I'll start by saying I'm a PA. That's a physician assistant. Or the new name is now physician associate. Whichever you prefer. Honestly, it makes no difference to me. But there are people I work with who are bothered by one name and not the other. A PA is a mid-level practitioner, kind of like a nurse practitioner, but instead of following the nursing model, we follow the medical model. When I went to PA school at Wake Forest in 2015, I went in as a naive and determined student who was empowered and ready to save the world. I wanted to heal people. I studied my ass off and then started my clinical year, and I slowly started to see the same patterns presenting in every patient. Every demographic is different, right? but the patterns are the same. Wake Forest, which is located in North Carolina, is part of the good old South, a place where exercise and healthy eating are anomalies. All my hospital patients involved people who had something we medical people refer to as metabolic syndrome, a fancy definition that encompasses your lifestyle choices need improvement if we're being politically incorrect here. These patients tend to be overweight, lack an adequate amount of exercise in their daily activities, and they don't eat fruits or vegetables, which eventually leads to the development of high body fat, high triglycerides, high blood pressure, high sugar, low HDL. That's your good cholesterol. Over time, these turn into, you guessed it, good old-fashioned hypertension, high cholesterol, type 2 diabetes, which all increase your risk of strokes and heart attacks. When I was doing my clinical rotations, I assumed all patients had this because I was in the South, the cluster of states known for their diabetes-inducing sweet tea and cigarette smoking. So, you know, you just learn about it, deal with it, prescribe the same medications over and over again, and pray people will listen to you. Change your diet, lose some weight, and everything should fall into place. Then I moved to New York City in July 2017 and got a great job working at an FQHC. An FQHC is a federally qualified health center that basically are strategically placed in high-needs areas where people are either really sick or really poor or a combination of the two. When I interviewed for this job, I was hired on the spot and I hadn't even graduated PA school yet, so of course I was ecstatic. The little red flag should have gone off in my brain, but I was so excited to start working and seeing patients and finally practicing the things I had studied so hard for during school. So I moved to New York in July 2017. I just passed my boards. I started working four months after submitting my paperwork. That's how long it took this company to credential me with Medicare, Medicaid, New York State, and all the other insurance companies and paperwork that was required for me to see patients. When I signed my contract, I was offered $90,000 a year, salary-based, and I didn't even question it. I had no idea what the rent prices and cost of living was in New York, And I had no idea what the average PA made in New York. People don't talk about money. People don't talk about salaries. It's still taboo. 
And the job I had before PA school was paying me like $12 an hour, which was the equivalent of like a salary of $30,000 a year. So obviously I thought I was a millionaire. Little did I know I was about to hit a huge learning curve, both medically, physically, emotionally, all aspects. I showed up to my first day of work and was told, okay, we'll give you one patient and then you can discuss with your supervising physician and then we'll give you another patient. Lo and behold, I was a fast learner and had common sense, so I quickly got the hang of things and within a month, I was seeing the same volume of patients as people who had been working there for years. After my three-month probation period, I got 100% on my evaluation, a perfect score. By then, I realized $90,000 a year with almost 40% of my salary going to taxes. Yes, you heard that right. Four zero. Welcome to New York City. And $2,000 of rent was not enough money for my utilities, groceries, public transit card, Kona's lunchtime walks, and just normal cost of living in New York. So I asked for a raise, I had an evaluation done, they looked into my file, and they bumped me up to $105,000 a year. I won the lottery. Meanwhile, the honeymoon phase at my job started to wear off. I started seeing more and more patients because other providers I worked with took their sweet-ass time while the waiting room was standing room only. The population I worked with was primarily Ecuadorian, Dominican, and Mexican. They were so damn nice. I'm talking about they would get there and ask... Solo quiero verme con la doctora Cristi. And I would go outside and I would tell them, hey, the wait time's going to be like two to three hours. And guess what? They would sit there and wait. And these were all hardworking immigrants, undocumented immigrants, and likely really needed the money. But they would wait quietly, patiently, happily. On holidays, my birthday, or any special occasions, They took their hard-earned money and they brought me gifts. People who barely had enough money to pay their own rent. People who lived two families in one bedroom because they couldn't afford to make it any other way. They didn't hesitate to buy me a shirt, get me a watch, give me perfume. This was an incredible first job. It truly humbled me. It cultured me. I learned so much about other countries. I realized not all Hispanics are created equal. Un suéter for a Dominican was una chompa for an Ecuadorian. A pap smear for an American was un papa Nicolau for Caribbean Hispanics and a citología for a Colombian. And as my medical knowledge was put to the test every day, I started to see patterns just like I did when I was in school in the South. Hispanic people have a completely different system of healthcare in their countries. They don't understand the concept of preventive medicine. The doctor is a place you go when you're sick, when there's something wrong with you. Why on earth would you go to the doctor for an annual checkup if you feel good? I used to joke and call myself a glorified nutritionist because the majority of my day I spent teaching people the food pyramid, portion control, and the importance of exercise. And after seeing patient after patient with the same problems, I realized our entire healthcare system sucked. Why are children not taught in high school basic nutrition information? High school students should have a class about the importance of nutrition, about the way the body works, the consequences of what happens if you don't take care of yourself, the cost of healthcare in America and diabetic supplies, how blood pressure and blood sugar work. This shouldn't be something you have to go to medical school or get a nutritionist degree for $100,000 of student loan debt. 
And yes, while all of this information is available online or on Google, the amount of information out there is overwhelming and conflicting. Patients come in all the time and say they saw online that the headache they've had for two hours could be a brain tumor and now they want an MRI. Patients get a little tickle in their throat and they think they have strep throat and are begging for antibiotics. And COVID only made these things worse. As a lot of you know, I am a very honest person and I tell people all the time, big pharma is not your friend. Insurance companies are not your friend. Healthcare workers are your friend. If America and big corporations really cared about your health, don't you think you'd see billboards advertising salads and fresh produce? Don't you think they would have already shut down the fast food industry? In an ideal world, McDonald's, Burger King, and I hate to say it, Chick-fil-A, these places wouldn't exist. Sure, they're not bad for you every once in a while, but the average American family who has children is in a constant struggle between not enough time and not enough money. Women are too busy working full-time jobs and don't have time to cook good quality meals. Good quality food costs too much money, so people don't have the money to afford those things. Do Whole Foods products accept WIC or food stamps as payment options? I don't think so. Have you ever seen a Whole Foods in the hood? Because I haven't. Historically, being overweight was a good thing. It was a sign of royalty and social class status. If you were plump, it meant you had a lot of money or you came from a family of money with access to these resources. As modernization and industrialization have occurred, that paradigm has completely shifted 180 degrees. Now being thin is a sign of affluence in higher education. Every year, data collected from thousands of patients reveals the same trends. Non-Hispanic black adults have the highest obesity rates in the U.S., followed by Hispanics. Together, blacks and Hispanics make up 70% of the overall obesity rate in America. 70%. That's almost three quarters. Why is there such a huge amount of minorities who are obese or end up developing more complex medical problems? It all boils down to health literacy, socioeconomic class, which is the fancy way of saying the more education and degrees you get, the more likely you are to be health literate and health conscious. And the more money you make, the more likely you are to be health conscious and make healthy food choices. It's easy to understand these concepts when you look at today's economy. McDonald's sells two cheeseburgers for $2. If you want to make it a meal and add a soda and fries, it's $4.89. But a salad is over $5. A bare-bones bowl at Chipotle is under $10. But a salad from just salad costs $15. And as much as I'd like to sit and blame big pharma and fast food monopolies like McDonald's and Taco Bell, the only people who can be blamed are ourselves. Every day we wake up and we get to make a choice. Am I going to work out or am I going to hit the snooze button? Am I going to get a seltzer water or am I going to get a large Diet Coke? If you don't care about yourself, who else is going to care about you? I know times are tough. I know money is tight. But guess what? We all choose what we spend our money on. Everything in life is about our priorities. I used to tell my primary care patients, pay now or pay later. The choice is yours. Would you rather pay $15 for the salad now or $100 every month for your future diabetes medications? Would you rather spend $50 on a dinner that you're going to digest and eliminate in two days or invest that in your monthly gym membership? If you can't already tell, this is one of my biggest pet peeves. I loathe when people tell me, 
I don't have that kind of money or I don't have money for that. No, Lisa, let's be real. You have the money. You just don't want to spend it on that. If you're like most people, here's an easy example. You probably drink alcohol. The average drink is anywhere from 10 to $15. At most restaurants in New York City, the drink is the same price as an appetizer or dessert or even an entree, depending on where you're eating. If you go out to the bar and you have three drinks or a few rounds of shots, you've probably already spent more than $50 on a drink that makes you numb that you're going to pee out in the next 12 hours. That was your choice. It's your body and your life. But this is why medicine sucks, right? We go in to help people. The majority of people in healthcare want to help others. We care about making a difference. If we were in it for the money, let's be real. I would have just gotten a job at Facebook or Google and studied tech or programming. They make double what we make. But people and patients make it so damn hard. I had a young, healthy girl who came in with chest pain and trouble breathing. And after I take a history, she tells me she drank a bunch of alcohol the night before and inhaled a bunch of whippets, which I had to look up because I'm from Miami and that was not a thing there when I was growing up. Whippets are basically where you take the propellant from whipped cream or some kind of propellant can that has nitrous oxide and you inhale it. So you get like this brief 10 second high, almost like when you were a kid and suck the helium out of balloons. So here I am working in an urgent care clinic with no access to advanced imaging like an ultrasound, a CT scan, or blood work that will come back in an hour. So naturally, I tell this girl she has to go to the ER. I have no idea if she's having a heart attack or blood clot or something that could potentially kill her and she should be evaluated thoroughly, which can only be done from an emergency room on a Saturday afternoon. She proceeds to get super upset at me. She tells me I'm judging her and a whole bunch of shit. So of course, I end up leaving the room pissed. Because healthcare, especially here in New York City, is all about defensive medicine. Every chart and every paragraph we write down for documentation is all to protect us from future lawsuits and defend the decisions that we are making. Everything in America is about suing people, which is one of the things that makes medicine so unattractive right now. Almost everyone I work with who has been practicing for 10 or more years has had some kind of lawsuit case they're going through or that they already went through. Think about it. Medicine is the only career where we have to be perfect. There is no grace period for a mistake. We are treated like robots and expected to nail a diagnosis for every patient we see 100% of the time. God forbid you misdiagnose one patient out of the 10,000 you've treated. You just pray it won't be the one that costs you your career. The can of worms that was COVID only exacerbated this further. Chest pain and trouble breathing are now thrown around by patients the same way they tell me, oh, my throat hurts. I remember being told in school that medicine is an art, and boy, have I learned how true that saying is. Sifting through the bullshit and trying to pull teeth from people and figure out, okay, is this person actually having a heart attack or something that could kill them, or is this just anxiety? This has become the forefront of every encounter I see. Again, I speak for New York City because this is where I live and work, but people are so goddamn paranoid. I'm talking about young, healthy people coming in and me asking why they're there, and they tell me, "Mm, I just had a tickle in my throat this morning. And I am directly quoting here. This is not an exaggeration. I'm talking about people coming in for a cough that started two hours ago. People have become these balls of anxiety and neuroses, and we're expected to coddle them and hold their hand and tell them that they're fine. People in New York City are still crying and having full-blown panic attacks when I tell them their COVID test is positive. 
Meanwhile, I've had COVID three times. I've taken Paxlovid zero times. 21-year-olds with no medical problems are hyperventilating, telling me they need a prescription for Paxlovid, and their only symptom is a runny nose. And I blame a lot of this on the media for creating this chaos and invoking the fear of God into these people. I understand that the original COVID was very scary, but thanks to vaccinations and the evolution of a virus, it is now a much more mild disease than it was before. I am a broken record. Before, I used to change people's lives, reverse their diabetes, teach them the importance of nutrition and exercise, give them tips and advice that they could carry with them for the rest of their lives. Now, I and my coworkers who all work in urgent care medicine, we just explain to people all day how their COVID is a cold and they should take DayQuil and NyQuil and there's no need to panic or go to the ER unless they have chest pain or trouble breathing. Every day I say, I wish I could just play a tape recorder and say the same thing 50 times because that's what my job has come down to. And it's super frustrating when non-medical people say stupid shit like, well, you guys signed up for that. Bullshit. No one signed up for a pandemic. I did not get $170,000 of student loan debt to hand people tissues for their tears because they have a cold and a runny nose, which we now decided to call COVID and they think they're dying. I don't even want to imagine what working in the emergency room is like. People go in for a headache after binge drinking and instead of telling them they're hungover and giving them Tylenol, you have to assume they're having a brain bleed and do a million dollar workup to prove that they're hungover and there's nothing medically wrong with them. Another thing they really need to teach people are the limitations of medicine. We are not gods. We are not all-knowing. We do not have x-ray vision. There is no way from looking at somebody I can confirm if they have appendicitis or not. It's just not possible. People need to understand the difference between urgent care and the emergency room. But everything is subject to perspective, right? The stomach bug that someone thinks is an emergency to us healthcare workers is an eye roll, Tylenol, and telling them to eat bland food so their stomach heals. But that person runs to the ER in a panic and incurs a $1,500 bill, all for us to tell them, congratulations, you have the stomach flu and give them Tylenol and they leave mad at us. Again, this goes back to basic healthcare education. Working in healthcare, I realized some of these people either one, had hypochondriac parents who thought they were dying for any condition they had, or two, didn't have parents who knew or cared to teach them basic medical knowledge. I've had people come to urgent care for a literal paper cut. Luckily, we still wear masks so they can't see my jaw drop while I reassure them and put a Band-Aid and Neosporin on their finger. And then on the total other end of the spectrum, I've had people come in with partially amputated fingers who are telling me that it's fine and I can fix it and they don't need to go to the emergency room. People hear the word emergency room now and it's like we've given them the death sentence. Arguing with patients about why they need to go to the ER for a hip fracture that needs surgery is an everyday thing now. People are more afraid that they're going to the ER because they're going to get COVID than if they don't go to the ER, they may have a stroke and die at home. Medicine has just completely gone down the drain, in my honest opinion, and this is something that many providers I work with have agreed with me across the board on. Our healthcare system is in serious need of reform, but no one has the right answers, and neither do I. How can you bill someone $1,000 for a bag of IV saline? How can you pay a travel nurse who doesn't work at your hospital double or 1.5 times what a nurse who has been working there for 10 years makes? Why are we incentivizing people who work per diem or locum's jobs when we can barely keep our own staff on board? 
Can you imagine how disrespectful it must be to go to work and meet a nurse who's working there for a week, knowing she's getting paid twice as much as you to do the same job for the job you've been showing up for for the past two years? It's ludicrous. Instead of buying us pizza, give us a raise. Instead of giving us a mug or a bag on a doctor's, nurse, or PA appreciation week, create a work environment that actually makes people want to go to work. I feel like I could talk about the horrors of working in healthcare all day, but I'll stop to summarize here. One, COVID really exacerbated the terrible condition of our current healthcare system. Two, people are paranoid. People have a lot more anxiety with the state of the world today, which is totally understandable. We've gone through a pandemic. We have a rise of school shootings. People are concerned for their safety, concerned about their finances, stressed, which all manifests itself as chest pain, palpitations, trouble breathing, chronic headaches, chronic stomach pain, and things like IBS, and they want us to magically cure them. Three, our healthcare system needs a complete rewrite. We need to truly focus on prevention at the forefront of medicine, teaching kids from a young age how to eat healthy, how to exercise, why it's important to do these things, basic health knowledge and how to be in tune with your body, how to listen to your body and give it what it needs. Four, people need to realize there is a time and a place for everything. Coming to an urgent care five minutes before they close will likely not go too well for you. The same way you wouldn't go to a restaurant and expect top quality food and five-star service as they're cleaning tables and floors, people who have been working for 10, 12, and 16 hours in a clinic are not happy to take care of you for an issue that you've had for five days that you now suddenly seem to care about. If you waited five days, you can wait until tomorrow morning when we open again. Five, people need to realize there is a limited scope for medicine. We don't have the answer to everything. You can go to a kidney doctor... But if you start telling them about your chest pain, they're going to be frustrated and annoyed because that's not in their job description. The same way you wouldn't go to a nail salon and ask someone if they can dye your hair. There are different specialties with different training. If you go to a doctor and they refer you out, it's because they didn't know what it was and felt you would probably get better care with someone specialized in that field or somewhere that was better equipped to handle you. Stop complaining and being angry at the person who saw you or the office workers and blame the system. Six. Be kind to people working in healthcare. No one is more burned out than a healthcare worker. While everyone has been complaining about working from home for the past two years, we've upped our hours and wished we could stay home most days. It's a slap to my face whenever people tell me they're so tired of COVID, or I'm so tired of working from home, or I'm so tired of wearing a mask. Yeah, try showing up to see people sick complaining about how bad they feel all day and having a mask pressing down on your nose and ears and then complain to me. The entitled attitude and you complaining that you've had to wait for 30 minutes to see a doctor will also get you nowhere. If you come to a doctor and you're in a hurry, again, that's not our problem. Schedule your life accordingly. We're doing the best we can. With vaccine mandates, early retirements due to COVID, budget cuts, most offices, clinics, and hospitals are short-staffed and running on fumes. If you're really sick, you'll wait however long it takes to be seen and cared for accordingly. Fast medicine does not equal good medicine. And last but not least, number seven, and this is the most important one. You are responsible for your own health. If you spend 20 years partying hard, drinking every weekend, and occasionally snorting cocaine, and now you're having chest pain, well, I'll be damned. It's about time. You had sex with 10 people last week and and forgot what condoms were, and now your penis feels different? 
No shit, Sherlock. I can't wait to see the STD panel results. Start making choices for your future self and treat yourself the way you would treat your grandmother or your child or a loved one. And if you wouldn't treat them well, maybe you need to reevaluate who you are and why you are that way. Speak to yourself with love and kindness. Buy yourself things that are going to improve your happiness. Invest in nourishing foods and activities that will make you stronger and healthier. Make time for your current wellness or you will have to make time for your future illness. If you're still listening, thank you. Stay tuned for some raw, honest, real conversations and thank you for joining me on this journey. Stay tuned for our next episode and please like, rate, and share this podcast if you enjoyed it. If you have questions, comments, feedback, please feel free to DM me on Instagram at Chris Have a wonderful day or night wherever you may be. Sending you so much love, Kristen.